So we are going to move from this lovely, casual atmosphere to a very um, precisely, might say, definition of community. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons. With himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Let me say that again. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and its most glorious inhabitant. Now, I start that way to say that community is not first and foremost a personal or social or human activity. The community, I think, properly has first a Godward point of view that would call us to ask, what is God's vision for community? To what intention, then, might community call us and would lead us to think, what are the means then for achieving the kind of community that God is trying to create? So that's from a Godward point of view. If we think about it from a human point of view, then I think at least this much is clear to me, that the most basic necessity for spiritual change doesn't occur in isolation, but in community. And for churches like us who focus a lot on spiritual transformation, it reminds us that change is neither ever for its own sake or ever merely for self-improvement, but that rather Christians are to be undergoing renovation so that the individual believer is able to influence and interact with others in a more Christ-like manner. So Christians are in the process for influence. Now, there's a thought you probably don't have every day, but I want to invite you to have it. That part and parcel to what we're doing here is a process for God giving us influence. Now, as soon as I say this, you'll go, oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. Like, you just think of the garden. Adam and Eve, come have influence with me. Come help me rule and reign what I've created. Abraham, I'm going to make you and your lineage into a great people so that, so that you can have influence, so that you can bless the earth. And then think of Revelation 22.5. John sees the picture of the church ruling and reigning with God forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. So Christians are on the road towards influence. Not the kind of um, well-intentioned but misguided influence we sometimes search for politically or in terms of human sort of power, but influence for God's good. And if you think of influence, well, this necessarily then involves one another. Just driving on the freeway to church this morning, made me think, no one believes in community. <laughs> you cannot believe in community and do to each other what we do. I'm serious. I just thought, no one actually believes in the other. They believe I'm in a hurry. I'm more important. You're bugging me. Right? No, I just, seriously, I thought no one actually believes in community. It's one of those things where there's this huge gap between what we think we ought to believe in or should believe in, but then are fundamentally betrayed by something more real in us. And I just think, I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I'm sort of like a dentist saying you got a cavity. Doesn't mean the dentist is being judgmental. The dentist is just observing what's real. And I think if we're going to get real about community, I think we have to begin with that 
our human points of view don't always align with this God point of view. And I think this is important for numerous reasons, but not least that I think community today has an important apologetic component to it. Um, one of my very favorite missiologists is uh, dead now, a man called Leslie Newbigin, who was wrestling with religious pluralism in the context mostly of Hinduism. But as he came back to the United Kingdom and noticed what was happening in the West as well, Newbigin famously wrote that the only hermeneutic, the only explanation of the gospel is a community of men and women who believe it and live by it. So, right, so what we notice on the freeways or standing in line in grocery stores or um, you, you remember that movie, A Christmas Story, when they're fighting over that last canned ham? You tracking with me here? So that kind of human thing that looks at limits and, and doesn't want to live by those limits and so then becomes, you know, kind of very demanding and very consumer-oriented, living outside of that mindset, living outside of that Southern California freeway mindset is a great explanation of the gospel. But as soon as we start talking about community, I'm aware that we all, or I assume the vast majority of us goes, yeah, 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 I know, I get it. It is sort of like, I know I, know I need to go on a diet, or, you know, I know I should get my eyes checked, or, you know, so those kinds of things where, yeah, 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 you know, like, shut up, I get it, you know, um, but sort of leave me alone about it right? Like, I don't, I don't want to be bothered about it. And I just happened to see in the Wall Street Journal this week a summary of one of the most latest studies that's been done on children, children and youth ministry. And it's becoming increasingly clear that when children become adolescents, when they become that sort of 12 to 19-year-old range, especially that 12 to 15, 16-year-old range, that one of the biggest reasons children are dropping out is because of the things that they see happening precisely in Christian community. And we're all aware of this. Probably every single one of you in this room could raise your hand and talk about a time when you were precisely hurt through pursuing Christian community. So again, I think we have to acknowledge it and just say this is the place from, from where we're starting, that sometimes it's precisely community that harms not just children's but all of our beliefs in God because when we put a lot in community, when that's shaken, it shakes our whole belief. Or excuse me, our, yeah, our whole belief about God. So then let's just talk a bit here about community. So what is community? I mean, on one level, community is simply a group of people either living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. And so if you think about community, it usually has to do with either personal relationships or personal relations or place as sort of chief components. But if you look at your gospel reading this morning, Jesus, as he often does here in Matthew 12, adds a very interesting and deeper component when he talks about obedience as a source of Christian community, we might even say a chief or core component of Christian community. When he says, who's my, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Who's my most essential community? And he says, here, this is my most essential community. This is my brothers and mothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If you look at a paper, paper version of the message, you know, the NIV, most Bibles have these now where they have, like, uh, chapter subheadings. You know, that's not in the original text, right? So you don't have to pay attention to those. But just to help us in our Bible reading, they often will have these little subtitles. Well, in the message, the subtitle above our passage is, Obedience is Thicker Than Blood. Did you catch that? Obedience is Thicker Than Blood. 
And that's a very apt subtitle for what Jesus is doing here when he's saying the core of Christian community, not only the end to which it's pointed, but what makes it work is obedience. Because see, obedience says something like, I actually can live without that ham. To put it in the work we've been doing in adult Sunday school with James K. Smith, I am what I love, and I love you more than I love that ham, if I do. Or I love you more than saving a half a second to tailgate you at 90 miles an hour, where if some little thing went wrong, I'm actually risking the lives of you know, maybe dozens of people around us. But I love those lives more than my need to get somewhere 30 seconds earlier. And because I am what I love, then I'm actually able to live out of that. And this is what Jesus is getting at, that obedience, that is to say, aligning our lives the best we can through a, a lifelong process of metanoete, of, of repenting, of constantly placing our life before God, bringing it into alignment with his kingdom. That is the basis the best basis of Christian community. But community is also a feeling. Often if we think about community, we think of a feeling, a feeling of belonging, a fellowship, of being with others as a result of sharing some sort of common attitude and interest or goals. And our psalmist is getting at this this morning. If you look at the front of your order of worship, it says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That is where the tribes of the Lord go up. And as I was reading that this week, I flashed back to when Debbie and I were very young, late teenagers. I was playing baseball in college. A kid kept bugging me to go to church with him. So finally, we did one Sunday night, Calvary Chapel, Riverside, 1976. And we got to church. I grew up in a very liberal little United Methodist church in Santa Ana. I'd never seen church like this. We drive up to this church, and there are hundreds of kids standing outside waiting to get in. Like the doors weren't open yet. Like, that's what you do at concerts, right? So the doors weren't open yet, and there were hundreds of kids out there. This was Greg Laurie's church back in the day, Calvary Chapel, Riverside. And I, I just started thinking about it. This is something like the psalmist was talking about. This is where the people of God go up. But I just so happened, because of a book I'm meant to be writing this summer, I, I've been doing a lot of reading, and I, I just finished reading about a two or 300-page book on the Jesus movement, from the hippies in the 60s all the way through its most, you know, its latest iterations into the 80s. And frankly, it was super depressing. It's just, when it's all said and done and the best and brightest people look back at it and think about it, there was just so much non-loving, working against community behavior. Now, I don't mean to put it all down, I came to faith in it, Debbie came to faith in it, I'll be obviously eternally grateful. I'm not at all putting it down. I'm just saying that even when you have that instinct of the hippies, are any of you old enough in this room to remember the instinct of the hippies? Well, even just do a little study of Haight-Ashbury. It was not a great place, ladies, for instance. It was not a great place to be a woman. You know, we tend to think of, you know, old white guys now who treat women bad. The 60s was a horrible place to be a woman just constantly used for their bodies to get drugs, whatever. It was not at all the sort of beautiful little flower children thing that we painted out to be. And it's because even when there's this deep pursuit of community that, come on, just think with me for a second, even if you're not old enough, just you've, you've watched enough programs and read about it in school. 
You know, that hippie thing was all about against the establishment. We're going to create alternative what? Alternative communities. We're going to create communities of love, right? We're going to create communities of peace. And when you dig into it, when when community is created from human impulses and for human reasons, it almost never achieves its end. This is why I think Jesus is lifting up something way different, a more Godward thing that says obedience is thicker. It's a more cohesive way. Obedience to God and his kingdom is a way more cohesive way for forming community than our ideas about it. And there's a very simple reason for this, is that even when you say, I want to have community because I don't like the man and I'm you know, tired of IBM, how quaint does that sound, right? Imagine Bezos versus IBM, right? So, like, I, I'm tired of IBM, I'm tired of General Motors, you know, I'm tired of GE, whatever. So down with the big corporations, and we're going to create these alternative sorts of things. But what happens is, is that individualism is so deep in us as Westerners, and especially as Americans, that what happens is we bring this deep individualism into us so that we end up actually using the communities we're trying to create often for ourselves. And this gets to what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2, if you look at your passage there. What if we had communities that did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility valued others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others? So let's just say for the sake of it, just for the fun of it, there has been no greater attempt at creating human community than what was tried to achieve in the mid to late 60s. I can't think of anything. There was a more sincere human attempt for trying to do it. But I have drugs, and you ladies have a body. My interest is to use your body, so I'll exchange it for some dope. And on and on and on, that kind of thing went. All through the beautiful peace movement, what it really meant was, you know, anti-war. Fair enough. But it didn't touch my heart. I was still putting my interests, even within the container called community, when it got right down to it, my interests was what was really important, not the interest of others. Not here, dear woman, let me make you safe on the streets of San Francisco. Let me create a safe place for you so that I'm putting your interests ahead of mine. Obedience is thicker than ideology. Obedience is even to Jesus thicker than blood. Even families can have very different views of religion and Christianity and God and Jesus and heaven and hell. But when you have at the point of coherence a desire to be like Christ for the sake of others, well, now you've got some basis for community. And this is true because community is born not from, first of all, a human need or human reality, but it's born primarily from Trinitarian realities. Now, this is meant to be a short sermon. I'm going to land the plane here quickly because there's so much we could talk about here. But if you just think that before there was anything, there was a community of loving persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's into that community that the community we call the kingdom as the people of God or the church, the ecclesia, the called out people of God, it's into that precise community that we're being invited. So can you even imagine the father using the son? The son using the father? 
the Spirit having a utilitarian relationship with the other two persons of the Trinity? It starts, it's absurd on the face of it. But we, have, we tend to have a more social sciences view of community. And of course we do. I mean, you know, after World War II, there was a huge optimism in science. Uh, the, the thought was that if we, what we were discovering about the physical sciences like physics and cosmology and biology and physiology, that sort of thing, that we could apply that to the human person and we could apply it to communities of people. Well, again, I'm not bashing that. I'm just simply saying that is a very different point of departure. Are you feeling me here? That is a very different starting place than a Trinitarian starting place where you have already a community of people, of persons who are inviting people into that. And that's what we see happening in Genesis 1. That's what we see happening in Luke 12. That's what, sorry, Genesis 12. That's what happens as we just read in Pentecost when the Spirit comes on and forms the church. And thank God for Paul. In passages like Galatians 3 and Colossians 3, where Paul describes this very diverse group of people, slaves, Scythian, free, Jews, Gentiles, male, female, every skin color, every, you know, gender, Everything is all caught up into this one community. Well, again, yes, if the starting point is a Godward Trinitarian one. And this is important because it gives community both its sentness and its end goal. So you have a beginning in Trinitarian community. You have a sentness in, in uh, creation and in Genesis 12 and then the, the forming of the church. And then you have an end game, so to speak. You have a telos where this is all heading, where you've got this group of people. Just picture this with me, this group of people in the new heavens and the new earth who actually have formed a community around obedience to God. And now in this community, there is that Trinitarian God right at the heart of it as its prime mover and sustainer, the prime person of, of pulling or pushing it forward and making it become what it's meant to be. Well, again, if you look at Jesus's words, they imply a decision. And so being a part of a community does require a personal decision. But it's not the kind of personal decision that we would think of as like a consumer choice. Like if you find yourself saying, I need more community in my life, that might be true and that's not a bad thing to think. But I would just, as soon as you think that thought, I would just, I would just think a second thought. Okay, from where does that feeling come and how do I hook that to this more Godward reality? Or, you know, I, I, or you might say, I'm, I'm started getting the feeling that community is important. Okay, great, but you have to bolt that onto something. And I think the thing we bolted onto is that what we're doing here in our formation in Christ is to try to fit this communal story and to let that story define what it means to be human in the image of God and let that be the basis of our formation. So spiritual formation, of course, is deeply personal. I want to underline that. To Nicodemus, there was something deeply personal. I'm a teacher of the law, yet I'm missing this. To the rich young ruler, being a part of the community of the kingdom was a deeply personal thing. I'm, I'm highly wedded to my things. To the woman at the well, there was something deeply personal. So community never means impersonal. What it means is, is that it's never a solo act. So it requires a personal decision for obedience and to come into the community of God. Community just reminds us it's never solo, that we need each other. And the spiritual formation literally cannot happen without the New Testament emphasis on one another's. 
on, think of all the plural pronouns, especially in the Pauline literature. Paul's insistence that gifts be intelligible so that they can be edifying, that's a communal thing. Or what about his insistence in 1 Corinthians 13 on love? That all, every single one of those places, Paul has in his mind a community of people. In fact, as Gordon Fee, I think, who said that the interpretive key of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is the five or six or seven times Paul says in those chapters, when you gather together. Now that, so when you're gathering together, here's how to think about gifts. And it's, it's Paul's thought of a, of a community of people being gathered together that, that prompts his words about love. So community and spiritual formation have a reciprocal, I would want to say, and synergistic relationship to one another. They both arise from and fulfill the purposes of God. There are lots of refreshing benefits um, that we can describe and that come from community. But underneath it all, I want to say, is a coherence and alignment with the deepest nature of reality, which is this Trinitarian God. And that when we're put back into relationship with him and into community, it's like a fish being put back into water. So again, to just feel this with me, that's your longing. You're like on the Balboa Pier, a little mackerel, just flopping on the pier, right? And so you feel it. So don't put yourself down for feeling that. It's just remember that it's the ocean that you were made for. And that that is the place that gives it its coherence. Our feeling is important. The personal part of it is important. But the water we swim in is the idea of this Trinitarian God who invites us into relationship with him and all who are pursuing obedience that is thicker than blood. I want to give you a moment of quiet now if you want to bow your head and close your eyes. Just take a moment and just shade, cool breeze. Maybe just think for a moment with God, where now is your most edifying community? Where now do you find obedience being encouraged in you and fostered in you? And maybe you should just pause and thank God. Where now is your most edifying community? Or maybe for others of you, is there a budding community that you'd like to ask God to breathe his life upon this morning? Maybe a new friendship, a small group, maybe just a little spark of a hope you have. Maybe there's something you can ask God to breathe his breath upon.